Today we've been learning about the story of Moses, if you haven't quite picked that up. Um, And although Moses and the Israelites, um, look, I don't think they had as much fun as we did today, um, but I have a feeling that when the sea parted for them, it was a little more incredible than what we saw today. Um, I mean, our our video was pretty awesome, and that parting of the sea was pretty spectacular. Um, And funny, that's right. Um, But the story of Moses is one that takes place over Moses' lifetime. And I think you'll agree with me that it's an incredible story of God's power and of his mercy and just how good God was to his people. It's actually quite nuts to think about the elements of this story. It's remarkable. And it's on Fornum, brother, for the young people in the room. But I want to show you how the story of Moses was not just great, but it actually pointed to something and someone greater. The story of Moses was a bit of a foreshadowing to something greater that was to come. And that's Jesus. He has released us from a greater slavery. He's freed us more impressively and he's promised us a more perfect and wonderful promised land than the ones that the Israelites entered. So let's get into it. I'd like to start by reading a passage to you from the book of Exodus in the Bible, which is the second book in the Bible. And Exodus tells the story of the Israelites and their exodus out of Egypt, hence the name. Early in Exodus, God had already told Moses to go and free his people, but it's also before the 10 plagues. So we're in this little section um, here, and God reassures Moses by giving him some promises. And then God tells Moses, hey, I've got these four promises. Can you go and tell the Israelite people these promises from me? So it's going to come up on the screen. Therefore, say to the Israelites, this is God talking, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you'll know that I'm the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore to give Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. I give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. What the? Let me just bring out those four things again. I'll bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and I will take you as my own people. These are the four promises that God gave to Moses to give to the Israelites while they were trapped in slavery. And uh, as people who know the story of Moses, um, I think you realize that these four promises all came true. And these are pretty cool things for God to do for his people. Pretty impossible given the circumstances. Perhaps there were Israelites who might have rolled their eyes when Moses came. Oh, whatever, Moses. It's impossible. It's it's not possible. Um, There's no point getting my hopes up. And maybe there were people who thought, look, I've got nothing else to lose. Let's just see what happens. I don't know what people were thinking, but there were most likely skeptics who didn't believe others who were hesitant to believe, and maybe there were some who were faith-filled and believed everything Moses said. But the thing is that no matter their initial response to Moses, the, the promises that God gave, God did it anyway. Even for the ones who wanted nothing to do with what Moses was saying, they still found themselves walking through the Red Sea on dry ground with walls of water beside them. 
God still enacted his promises. He, said, he did what he said he would do. And if God did it back then, I reckon that he does still do this today. We get a good look at the story of Moses because it physically happened. But we can hold on to these same four promises today, that spiritually God will bring us out from the burden of this world, that he will rescue us from slavery, that he will redeem us with an outstretched arm, and that he will take us to be his people. So what's your reaction to this? Let's have a little look at these promises, these four promises, and then I'll um, maybe finish with a bit of a hidden gem. So the first one, we're going we're gonna to talk about the first promise in, we're going to talk about the first two promises in one, that God can bring us out from the burden of this world and rescue us from slavery. Who here is a slave? Uh, oh, the kids are all slaves. What are you doing, parents? <clears throat> Slavery is a weird thing to talk about in our culture and our context. But I believe it's a thing that's in our hearts. When we're enslaved to anything, we submit our wills to that person or thing. You can become enslaved to an addictive habit. It has the power over you and you submit. You may be a workaholic, enslaved to the idea of achievement. The promise of achievement has the power over you and you submit. You may be someone trying to help people, but perhaps out of the motivation of pleasing people. And so you could say that perhaps you're enslaved to the idea of pleasing people. It has the power over you. Or perhaps you feel like you might be a slave to fear, allowing fear to call the shots in your life. Or perhaps it's your absolute motivation to ensure financial stability for you and your family. So everything you do is directed towards that. And perhaps you could say that you are enslaved to your finances. But I want to suggest that these things are all just symptoms. They're all just symptoms of something deeper, a greater slavery, a greater brokenness. And that is our human heart. It's enslaved to darkness. It's, it's rooted deep in the human heart, and it comes out in our behaviours. If we're honest, we know that there's something deeply wrong with us. And if we're honest we can see that it manifests itself in all sorts of ways that results in a society like we've got today. And so, just like the Israelites, we need a deliverer. Someone who can come and free us from darkness and slavery. Someone in which we find, well, the slavery in which we find ourselves. Someone who can lead us out of slavery and into freedom. Someone just like Moses. Moses physically led the Israelites out of slavery, but we need someone who can spiritually lead us out of slavery. And so can I introduce you to Jesus? Also known as the Messiah, the Deliverer, Emmanuel, God with us, the Anointed One sent by God to deliver, to redeem not just the Israelites, but all people to himself, to make a way for us to have a relationship with God. Jesus. So how on earth did this one man, how, how was he meant to deliver billions or even, I don't know, trillions, I don't, not very good at maths, of people who have lived on this earth? Well, let's have a look at what happens next in the story of Moses. If you'll remember with me, there were 10 plagues. The 10th plague was the plague that finally convinced Pharaoh to let his 
to let the Israelites go. And the plague was this, that every firstborn in every house in the land of Egypt would die. Now, quick side note. I've always thought that this final plague was pretty full on, a little harsh. Was it a bit too harsh? He has spoken. Remember back when Moses was born. Back then there was the decree from Pharaoh that every Israelite baby boy born would be thrown into the Nile River. And so can you imagine the Israelites' sorrow and their misery during this time? The injustice and the harrowing time that it was for the Israelites. And yet here we are years later and the tables have turned. And God brings his justice, his justice. I would like to note, however, that unlike the Egyptians, God actually made a way so that people didn't have, have to have the plague touch their family. Unlike the Egyptians, God just, God's justice is also in tandem with his mercy and with his love, but required some action on behalf of the people. If anyone sacrificed a perfect lamb and put its blood on the doorpost, that was that gruesome video we watched, the angel of death would pass over that household, saving the lives of the firstborn in the house. The death of the lamb taking the place of the firstborn in the house. Unfortunately, from what we're told, the Egyptians took no notice of this offer of mercy. But through God's mercy, the Israelite people were saved. They were saved by the blood of the lamb. Now, for a second, let's remember that third promise that God gave to the Israelites. So the first two was that he would bring them out from under the Egyptians, that he would free them from slavery. The third one, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Now, redeem is a funny word. It it means to buy back or to pay the price for something that was already yours and, and be brought back. Analogies can only go so far, but it could be a little bit like this. Imagine you've, you've put a bag of stuff together for Lifeline and you're going to take it and you take it to Lifeline and you drop it there. And you come home and then you realise, oh no, I really love that shirt. I know, I need to go back and get it. Now, if you're a hoarder, don't listen to this. Um, but you can't just waltz back into Lifeline, find your shirt and say, thank you, see you later. No, it's now the property of lifelines and you have to actually go and buy it back. So you can take your shirt and say, I'd like to buy this shirt back and you have to pay a price for that shirt. You have to pay the price even though it was originally yours. And so the people of Israel had been taken into slavery and they had to be bought back with a price. And the blood of the lamb paid that price and allowed them freedom from slavery. Now, let's jump forward to Jesus. Remember, the story of Moses is great, but it points forward to something greater. We as humans have this problem, remember, a deep heart problem that needs help, that needs to be freed from slavery. And this is why Jesus came, to deliver us, to free us, to redeem us, to bring us back into a relationship with God. But like the Israelites, there's a price. There's a price that must be paid to redeem us. And the price is Jesus. And Jesus laid down his life for us. Like the lamb that was sacrificed to save the Israelites, Jesus was sacrificed to save us. 
The blood of the lamb saved the Israelites that night and the blood of Jesus saves us for eternity. Christians harp on a lot about Jesus' death and resurrection. In fact, we have a whole holiday dedicated to it, Easter. But why is it so significant? Because without the death of Jesus, without him paying the price for our freedom, we cannot have a relationship with God. We cannot be freed from this deep heart disease. But with the death of Jesus, we are freed and brought into an eternal relationship with God. Just like the Israelites placed their faith in the blood of that lamb to save them and free them, so we too can place our faith in the blood of Jesus to spiritually save and free us. So we've covered the first three promises. What are they? That God would bring them out of the burden of the Egyptians, that he would free them from slavery, that he would mm, redeem them with an outstretched arm. And the fourth promise, the last one, that he will take them to be his people and that he will be their God. When the Israelites were released from slavery, all right, they go through the Red Sea, yay, they're all free. Then what? What's that fourth promise? That God took them in as his own people. This is a beautiful picture. Can you imagine the Israelites as slaves? Tortured, helpless, hopeless, having no power. Now redeemed, saved, brought into freedom, given hope, given freedom. But not not only that, God gave them a place, he gave them a position. He gave them worth and value and he called them his people, his treasured people. From nothing to everything, from rags to riches, the God of the world chose these people, saved these people and called them his own. And we too are chosen by God. He knew you from the beginning of time and he longs for you to trust him. He longs for you to be his son and his daughter. He wants to give you a place. He wants to give you a position, purpose, freedom and life. You're so treasured by God and he longs for you to run into his arms. And although life will continue to be broken, inside we can be whole. Although the world will continue to send us on a roller coaster of hurt and pain and sadness, God will be with us, moulding us into people who, despite the world around us, are becoming more and more like his son, Jesus. And as the Brady Bunch song informed us, God then brings us into the promised land, a different promised land to the one the Israelites reached. They reached Canaan, or now Israel. But when our time is finished, we will enter into our promised land, the kingdom of God, in the presence of Jesus who died in our place and rose again. We have the opportunity to be with him forever, where there will be no more hurt or pain or sorrow or tears. There will be joy forever in the presence of our Jesus. The story of Moses is great, but it points to someone even greater, Jesus. His death and his resurrection has freed us from slavery, has redeemed us and brought us back into a relationship with God who gives us unshakable hope for our future. This is what I think the story of Moses points to, something greater, something bigger. Because it's not just the Israelite people that this is focused on, it's it's an invitation to all of us. Um, that God can free us, that God will be with us and God will bring us into the promised land when our time is finished. Now, you've been so good. 
but I'd like just five more minutes. I'd like to show you just a hidden gem that I found. Um, What I mean by hidden gem is sometimes when we read the Bible, we miss stuff because we're not part of the culture and the context of the time when it was written. So we just, as Australians in 2022, miss a whole heap of stuff. But I want to show you something that I've learned, and it's cool, and I think it's worth sharing. So, are you ready? Are you ready? Okay. Hard crowd, gee. So, after the Israelites were freed from slavery in Egypt, every year they would remember the time that God saved them. And it was called Passover. And during Passover week, they would have a meal. And everything about that meal had symbolism. It pointed towards something. For example, they had bitter herbs as part of their meal on the table. And the bitter herbs were there to remind the people of the bitterness of slavery. And they would have roast lamb on the table to represent the lamb that took their place. But also as part of this meal, they had four cups of wine. And I'm not condoning this in any way, but They had four cups of wine, and guess what? They corresponded with the four promises that we've been talking about today. The four cups of wine corresponded with the four promises that we've talked about today. For example, and so so what would happen is during the meal, they would have a cup of wine, and then they would move on. And when they would have that cup of wine, the head of the house would say the first promise, and then the second promise, and the third and the fourth. So, for example, when it was time for the first cup of wine to be taken, um, the head of the table would raise his cup and he would call out the corresponding promise. I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. Got that? Remember, that's the first promise. And then, as a group, they would remember that promise that God gave. And then later on in the meal, they would have their second cup with the second promise, and the third and the fourth. Is this making sense? Okay, okay. It's, getting, it's, it's ramping up. Okay, we're getting somewhere. Jump forward about 1,500 years, and Jesus was taking this Passover meal with his disciples. It had been a thing right since the Exodus up until this point. And many of us know the story well, but Jesus with his disciples the night before he was crucified took Passover, and he, he took the bread and he gave thanks for it, and he said, this is my body broken for you. And he took the wine and he said... This cup is a new covenant in my blood poured out for you. And here's where it gets juicy. We miss this story because we're in Australia in 2022. Here's what we miss. We don't get a seat at the Passover meal with Jesus, but scholars suggest this, that because of the sequence of events prior and after, the cup of wine that Jesus took at this time was most likely the third cup in the Passover meal. The third cup. And so at a regular Passover meal, the head of the table would have read out the third promise. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. But Jesus took the third cup. Everyone knew what he was meant to say, but he changed it. Instead, he took the cup and said, this is my blood poured out for you. This cup is me. Jesus not only changed the meaning of the cup, but he was claiming to be the one who would redeem us with outstretched arm. Jesus is the fulfillment of that third cup, 
that he would redeem us with an outstretched arm. The very next day he was crucified, his blood was poured out for us to bring us back to God. And so now we remember, and we'll do so very soon with communion, that Jesus redeemed us with an outstretched arm. Just because you think that's it, what about the fourth cup? What happened with the fourth cup? It's quite probable that Jesus never actually drank the fourth cup of wine. And what does the fourth cup symbolise again? I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Do you remember what Jesus said after taking the third cup of wine? He said, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine or wine again until I drink it with you in my kingdom. That verse has never had any meaning to me until this, this point. Jesus was saying, I will not drink this fourth cup until, what's our fourth promise? He takes us to be his people and he will be our God. And so one day, when we, when we get to be in his presence, we will take that fourth cup of wine with him, where we are with him and he is our God. And we'll forever be with him in the promised land.